Welcome back to the McCann Dogs Podcast, Season 2, Episode 3, and in today's show, we are talking about the changing seasons, and a couple of uh, fun things I have for you guys. On today's call, it's myself, uh, Instructor Shannon, and also Instructor Steve. What's happening, Instructor Steve? What's happening, everybody? How is everybody doing today on the podcast fun? This is exciting. Yeah. Now, you if you've uh, watched our YouTube channel, I'm sure you've seen Instructor Steve on the on there. If you've been in classes at McCann Dogs, I'm sure you've seen Instructor Steve there. And so it's nice to bring Steve into the podcast, and uh, we'll see how things go. This is also our first. You know, we publish a video podcast as well. Hello to our uh, YouTube audience. But um, this is our first time uh, with a live caller. So we're excited. Go ahead, caller. I, 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 I can't, I'm looking uh, forward to saying that. <laughs> yeah, well, I, and I want to say long-time listeners are first-time callers. Yeah. Like, like so. <laughs> also true. So I thought this was a good topic for the three of us to talk about. Um, the title of this podcast, uh, Spring is Sprung and New Dog Owners Need to Consider These Factors. And, uh, you know, we see this, Shannon, uh, so often with you know, new puppy owners uh, mm-hmm. or new dog owners over that get a dog over the course of the winter and spring rolls around and they think – uh, all of my hard work has been undone. Uh, yeah. And, and be, you know, being re- uh, mindful of some of the things we're going to talk about today are going to help you to be successful with your young dog in training, your puppy who's becoming an adolescent dog. And the first one, and probably the most obvious when it comes to spring, is the fact that the environment is changing and the challenges change for your dog. Let's talk about that for just a minute. Yeah, quite massively. And I always try to think of this from the dog's perspective. And the first thing that's going to change and stick out for them is the new smells with everything. And of course, with snow melting, there's a lot of moisture. So smell carries differently. Whether you have a baby puppy or you have a young dog or you have an older dog that's just coming back into spring again, keep in mind that there's going to be a huge difference for those dogs. So So you'll need to buckle down and do a little bit of reminding and training for them. That's always a good idea to help. And you'll also need to keep in mind that they might have a harder time with some of this stuff because the distractions are so much more intense than they were. So be fair to the dog. Take a step back. Go back to your teaching. Go back to helping. Go back to showing if you need to. And then see how things go. You might might get out and about and things might be wonderful because maybe it's their third or fourth spring, but chances are it's going to be something something that takes them for a little bit of a loop. So take your time and help them out. Yeah. And, and, and be aware, you might have gotten a puppy in the wintertime. That's the case for uh, Kale and I. We have a little euchre at home and uh, she has never seen the spring. She exactly. has never, she has, you know, it was snowy uh, when she was born. And uh, this is her first time to see, you know, the, the flowers and the uh, animals. You know, critters. There's the, yeah, for there's sure. critters everywhere now. Absolutely. <laughs> a lot more challenges. And uh, the whole world has gotten a lot more exciting. Yeah, Definitely. Steve, what's some of the interesting challenges you've seen, uh, you know, as teaching our in-class students, have they, have they mentioned any changes or challenges that they've had, uh, as spring has come about? Well, yeah, Shannon, Shannon mentioned keeping, you know, in mind things from the dog's perspective. And that's always, always my top of mind and something that I try to encourage my students to do, because even in this nicer weather, we don't realize that maybe all of a sudden we are going to, uh, a part of the 
park or the neighborhood or whatever it is that they've never been because it's nicer and we can stay out longer and we're not freezing cold and bundled up. So we often don't even realize that the changes that we're putting on them. So that's a big thing to keep in mind. And that's something that I encourage my um, in-class students to do is, you know, you know, let the dog dictate where you go. And, you know, if the dog is struggling, don't keep continuing that way. Make it easier. Change it. You know, change something to kind of help them um, move along and be successful. I think that's a really important point and something that, um, you know, we, we may not be we, – we need to be pretty self-aware. But we're likely wanting to go on longer walks with our dogs. And for a lot of dogs, that's not the right choice. No, it's definitely Yeah, not. well, I, I, I was going to say absolutely. You know, we, we are more prone to staying outside because we have been cooped up with the, with the busy puppy. And uh, all of a sudden we get a nice warm day and we think, oh, we'll just go for a, a long walk. And that can be not the best idea right then. Shannon, when we, t- we often talk about taking a step back in our training and how important that is. Mm-hmm. And you, I love the fact that you often talk about having a training journal. And as a dog owner who's looking to be successful, give my dog the best information possible, talk about uh, that taking a step back in your training to help your dog to be successful with walking on leash. Yeah, you bet. Um, if you are already in a position where you're taking that dog out and about in your neighborhood, you're walking them on leash, they've got nice walking on lead skills, they know how to maintain a loose lead or walk nicely at your left-hand side, consider the challenges that are now going to be present for your dogs when you go out on walks. And you might bring along some more tempting treats. You might bring along some higher value rewards for that dog. So that dog is going to be well-versed in walking walking, but the distractions are going to give that dog a little bit of a challenge on your walk. So having something to say, hey, you have done a fabulous job. And if you hang in and you don't pull and you pass other dogs without causing a fuss and you don't lunge at that squirrel as we're walking, I'm going to make sure I acknowledge that. And we like to, with dogs that have well-established skills, we like to use yes to mark what we like and then pull food out to reward them. So we have to get the behavior we want first with a dog who's got lots of experience and then follow through with a reward for them giving us good behavior. When you're working with a younger dog who maybe doesn't have the experience and the skills yet in terms of walking on lead nicely, they don't really understand how to walk on leash nicely. This is a dog that I'm not going to challenge by going all through my neighborhood. I'm going to stay close to home. I'm going to rely on success dictating how I progress from there. And I'm going to make sure that I take the time to actually teach my dog what my expectation is. Keep in mind that when we go out on a walk with a dog who doesn't understand how to walk nicely, yet, their head is in a completely different space than ours is. They're thinking about chasing the critters, smelling the grass, peeing on things. They're excited about all of those things. So we need to be more interesting than all of those things. And we need to be fair to the dogs and teach them what we actually expect. I think that's such an important point. And when you are out walking with your dog, uh, so much of your effort and attention should be focused on some of the things around you. Because being proactive in these situations is so much more effective than being reactive. You know, waiting, it's much more important that you get the dog's attention and turn them away before you get too close to a distraction rather than try to fix the problem after they've made the wrong choice. Um, And and part of this, you know, we talk a lot about um, giving the dog clear, consistent information. And it's pretty unreasonable to take a dog in training for a walk around the entire park in that healing position. Uh, Steve, you recorded a video, uh, shot a video for a YouTube channel that talks about kind of three styles of walking on leash. And maybe we can talk a little bit about when to use the, the three different kinds of walking on leash and why you need all three. 
Yeah, well, it, you know, it, it is important to keep in mind that, you know, I don't and, and most of uh, the people that I know and that we work with on a daily basis, you know, don't expect dogs to walk in perfect heel position all the time. That's not real life. You know, I mean, it's not an obedience ring everywhere we go. Now, one of the things that I do like to make sure that we, we focus on is starting with teaching our dogs a very specific expectation that I can be clear with and reward often. So that is starting at my left-hand side. So when I'm teaching walking, I really focus on that because it's easy for the dog to be right. There's no decisions. We're luring to start. You know, we're really setting things up to simply build value from within that position. But, you know, Shannon just talked about a dog that might be a little older that does have some skills. Um, the idea of giving giving my dog some freedom once they understand that, A, not to pull on the leash and B, you know, they can do things like respond to their name or they're starting to have a really good recall. Those are now tools that I can use to give my dog a little bit more freedom but still have the control that I want. So, you know, at that point, they're allowed to do what we call leash respect, which is simply not pulling the leash, whether that be on a six foot leash or a 20 foot long line. Um, the dogs have a little bit more freedom to move. And it's, you know, it's just, a, it's, it's a nicer way to take a dog. Um, now the, the idea of the foundation though, is that anytime things get a little too exciting or a little too overstimulating, I can go back to that foundation that I built on having that dog walk nice and close to my side. So, you know, and that takes a lot of teaching to do it a lot of time and really a whole lot of consistency. And that's, that's the big thing to keep in mind. You have to be consistent with these things. You know, we just sort of had a brief touch on dog, you know, reacting to dogs pulling. And if you can, as you said, can be a little bit more proactive and build value for doing the things with me, like the value is not just the food, the value is not just the toy, it's, it's me as, as a person. If we can do that right off the bat, it allows me to give my dog some freedom, but then also make it a little bit more precise when I'm going, let's say, down a sidewalk past somebody pushing a stroller or something else, and then again, give permission for a little bit more freedom. And it's a, it's a great way to sort of think about that walk instead of just taking my dog for a walk. It's all about, you know, teaching all the different skills. Yeah, I love that. And for me, that really tackles the whole issue of whether or not you should allow your dog to sniff on walks. And this is sort of a, 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 a something that is a confusion for lots of people. Should I allow them? I want them to enjoy their walk. But if I allow them to sniff, they end up pulling, et cetera, et cetera. So giving them clear information where you say, OK, we're doing a let's go now because there's busy things going on in the street. I can tuck my dog into my side. I can have control as we pass other dogs or the stroller you mentioned, Steve, for sure. And then when I get to the park or when I get to a wide open space, space, I can use my leash respect and I can even use a longer line to allow my dog to have a little bit more freedom. Absolutely love that. Yeah. I I think well, one of the most underappreciated tools in our training tool belt might be the long line. Steve, would you agree with that? You know, I know it, how much you like it, to use them. It absolutely is. And, and I, I mean, I'll be the first to admit when I get a puppy, I buy a new long line and every puppy gets a new long line because by the time the puppy's trained, it's tattered and torn and, you know, it's in awful shape, but that's because I use it all the time. And it's such a valuable tool for um, allowing freedom, but still having control and being able to say, okay, it's just, you know, as you talked about, we're in a busier spot now, so you do need to suck in and we need to move. And, you know, that it allows me to also set up the scenario of, okay, now you're permitted to go somewhere else and it may be sniffing and doing other things. Um, I will tell you, though, the other tool that I really think gets overlooked when we're talking about teaching walking um, is a response to name. You know, a response to name cue is so valuable in so many different situations, including when we're out in the park. You know, we think about leave it or all these other sort of uh, reactionary. Uh, I'm using that term a little bit loosely in that 
But, you know, if my dog knows to respond to their name and they know that really good things happen when they do and they like to respond to their name and I, 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 you know, give a clear mark and I reward it with lots of fun and lots of praise and I become the reward for the response name. I can then use my that tool to fix all kinds of things in distracting scenarios. So, you know, part of it is teaching the walking, but the other thing is taking time to teach all of the other skills that your dog can then understand how to learn how to listen to your voice. And that's always my big thing. People get stuck on the walking, but I want to make sure that the voice is the thing, whatever it happens to be, whether it's let's go or, or, or a more casual with me or a response name or a leave it, you know, taking the time to teach those cues can really help in all those situations. Talking about being proactive and talking about um, going out for a walk with your dog, the, the uh, opportunity to be proactive as you uh, are approaching a distraction, using your dog's name to get some attention, asking for a sit, using your dog's name uh, to let them know that you're about to make a right turn for that dog in training. That's a great way to help your dog to be a little bit more successful. And um, Steve, as you mentioned, to be able to reward your dog just for checking in with you. Uh, it can be really valuable, especially as we're trying to, we talked about, I think, Shannon, maybe last week we talked about this, about showing our dogs that we're valuable in a world full of uh, distractions where dogs are going to do what's rewarding. Why not take every opportunity that we can to reinforce that uh, that uh, understanding that uh, we do provide value in a variety of situations? Oh, huge. It's probably the most important thing that we can do with our dogs is let them know that we are worth listening to, that we have great great things. And if they ignore those squirrels, wonderful things happen. And of course, we're going to get to the squirrel phase, but we have to start somewhere. We can't start by letting them think that chasing the squirrels is the right direction to go. We want to start teaching skills in a nice, quiet environment and then get to the point where they can tackle spring. No problem. But they definitely need some uh, some training and some instruction in a bit of a quieter situation first. One of the things we haven't uh, mentioned yet we should talk about now because I know it's something that is uh, presenting a challenge for all dog owners in our area. Now, I don't know where you might be listening to this uh, podcast from, where you live, but it uh, ticks are a real oh. problem for us. And uh, they seem to be everywhere and it seems to be getting worse every single year. Let's maybe talk for a couple of minutes about ticks and why dog owners need to be so aware of, uh, of this parasite. Yeah, I would say in about the last uh, decade or so, as our, our climate has shifted a little bit, ticks have become a really big deal in this area. Um, they've been in other areas, of course, for a long, long time, but they're fairly new to um, this area of Ontario. So, so we're, we're learning quite a bit about them. Um, they are... Quite the force. They can come with all sorts of nasty diseases that uh, will transfer both to humans and dogs, all sorts of parasitic problems there. There's also lice and fleas to deal with, and spring is the time for all these things to sort of come out. So it's a good opportunity to talk to your vet about the different options in terms of preventatives um, or to start learning about um, things that are maybe a little bit less toxic if you wanted to stay a bit more natural. There are some options there as well, but uh, some of them are less effective than others. So you'll really want to do your research and your homework with that. But oh yeah, the ticks. <laughs> where would, uh, for people who might not know where ticks would be found, you know, where where do they need to be aware of them? Yeah, you bet. So ticks are not like fleas. Ticks will actually crawl onto their hosts. So they tend to hang around on low hanging branches in bushes, etc. So that when deers walk by on a deer path, as an example, they would just reach out and grip and then transfer onto the host from there. Fleas will actually jump. So you have a lot less opportunity to get out of the way of, way of fleas, but they also 
tend to be a little bit less frightening in terms of the uh, the horrid diseases they can pass along. So with ticks, I, I think a really good idea for us humans is to wear light clothing when we're out in the bush. And as much as possible in the spring and in the fall months, those are the worst months for ticks and for, you know, tick activity. We want to make sure that we are avoiding the bushy areas unless we are Using DEET on ourselves, please don't use DEET on your dogs. It is toxic for dogs. Use DEET on yourselves. That'll keep you safe. And um, with the dogs, one of those preventative measures, um, I've used... Uh, topicals before. I've never, I've never used the ingestibles with my dogs. There's a variety of reasons for that. It's a very personal decision. You can definitely chat with your vet about what you want to use. Um, and I find that they're probably 85% effective in terms of how many ticks I still find on my dogs using the topicals, using the, the chemical topicals. So in addition to those, I will also, um, I'll use an Icaridin spray with my own dogs. Very safe for dogs. It's actually safe for children as well, which DEET is not. Uh, children under 12 should never be exposed to DEET. And that'll say that on the uh, on the can as well. So using an Icaridin spray, which is a reasonably new to market product, but the um, the information behind it is really nice, really nice natural product. And, not, and it uh, re- just repels the ticks? It does. And I find that the combination for my own dogs, I've used that combination of both the topical and the Icaridin spray when we go out on walks. And on average, we probably have two to three ticks per season in the last few years. And I do tend to do a lot of um, ravine and bush. So I'm confident that that's working for me and my dogs. Um, you have to, you know, do your research and do your homework on the different options. Find something that you really do feel comfortable with. Um, and then there's also all sorts of ways that you can check for ticks. And brush your dogs out to make sure that they're not carrying home ticks and then the ticks are not embedding. So um, I like to start at the car with a lint roller. When I first get back to the car, I'll just quickly run a lint roller over my dogs to catch any of the loose ticks that might be crawling on them. I usually will pick up a couple when I'm doing that, especially the small ones, if I've been in the bush for a really long time. Then when I get home, I do a lot of back brushing so that I can see clear through to the skin. You can usually see them. They do move fairly slowly. They're not swift moving creatures at all. Uh, fleas are much, much harder to see in the coat, but ticks tend to be a little bit easier to spot if you know what to look for. Um, Steve, you have a an Irish wolfhound. <laughs> I'm sure the process of a tick check must take uh, a, g- a good hour. Two? Uh, yeah, it, it, there, there's, a, there's a little bit of real estate there to go over, that's for <laughs> sure, but uh, it, it's definitely worth doing. I do the same as Shannon, a quick lit roller uh, before getting in the van, and then uh, we do a good brush, thankfully. Um, the wolfhounds are quite comfortable uh, being handled and lying on their sides, and they think it's a bit of a spa day when we go over them, so it's uh, it's not too bad at all. <laughs> the, uh, the obscure parts of the body are the tricky parts. Make sure that you're checking in the lips, you're checking in between the toes. There's all sorts of areas that those critters like to go and hide yeah. in, and any crevice in your dog. You actually have a really good video, Ken, of doing a thorough tick check. That's, yeah, that's have, a good one for Having to a check systematic out. approach, I think, is really important, um, and going from the tip of their nose to the tip of their tail. That way you don't miss anything, but uh, you're absolutely, uh, you want to be very aware of the spots that uh, Shannon mentioned, but under their ears, in their armpits, you know, these are the places where ticks can hide and uh, they can make your dog uh, quite sick. So you definitely want to, 
build in that 10 minute tick check into whatever time you've allotted for your dog walk. You know, it, it's that important. And, uh, you know, you just want to be conscious of that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Something, uh, another skill that's important to have. And I was just thinking about this. I was remembering back to taking Deegan for walks this time of year, my, my black lab, uh, and a water loving dog. She would splish and splash around and go in the mud, but having a nice weight at the door, a weight at the, uh, maybe, uh, at your front mat or something like that is a really beneficial skill. And, and I think um, as we talk about it, as we're, I'm talking about it, I'm thinking maybe this would be a good YouTube video is teaching someone uh, how to do that. Because when you first bring your dog home, you know, sometimes they're soaking wet or they're, they're in t- covered in, in mess. Maybe we can talk about the value of a weight, big picture, the value of a weight, Shannon, and uh, why it might be so good for when you bring them home and they're covered in mud. Definitely. Um, Actually, a weight on both sides of the door is going to serve you so, so well. So both when you're leaving, when you're letting them out of the car, and when you're coming back home, we want to be able to easily adapt that situation to our needs. And we don't always want to open the door and let our dogs rush right in all muddy and shaking all over the couch. So that's definitely a great idea to teach your dog to be responsive around that front door, whether you're inside or outside of it. Practicing things like like Steve mentioned, response to name, so, so important to be able to get your dog's attention in any situation. Working on handling skills in those situations, both when they're excited to go out, where you need to hook up equipment, etc., and when they're excited to get back home. It's so good to have rehearsed the idea of them being calm as you towel off their feet, as you brush through their coat, you know, as you do all of the things that you might want to do before letting them free and loose in the house. We don't all have mud rooms. That's definitely on the list for my next home. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. You know, you mentioned uh, handling skills. I would say that is probably the most, one of the most overlooked skills for for the the average dog owner just doesn't realize the value Mm -hmm. until you absolutely need it. The uh, amount of people who struggle with nail trimming or uh, even some with grooming, certainly wiping their dog's feet. Steve, I know that you do a lot of this kind of stuff, uh, not only in classes teaching it, but uh, with your own dog. And uh, it's got to have been a, a beneficial skill when it's a, with a great big Irish wolfhound. Yeah, well, anytime, you know, you can practice these sorts of things and having your hands on your dogs and having your dogs very accepting of it. Um, and, I'll, you know, I'll qualify that. They don't have to like it, but we want them to accept it and we want them to be comfortable with it as best they possibly can. So anytime you can take the opportunity to, to, to practice it, it's so, so important. You know, um, and talk about weights. I also, you know, make sure that not only do I focus on household doors, but car doors or, you know, uh, other places in life. When I open the back of the van, I don't want dogs just bolting out. So we work a weight in those situations. Um, We work weights, you know, when we're out and about. So let's say my dog has an understanding in the house and then maybe in the car. Um, I'll work some weights before I give them permission to go run wherever we happen to be going. Um, So that, that particular skill is reinforced in as many different scenarios as possible. And then to couple that with handling, like handling paws. So um, yesterday when I was out for a walk, both dogs got, uh, the little dogs got a little hot and they both flopped in the creek and they were soaking wet and muddy and gross. Uh, So yeah, there was a towel off before they went back in the van. You know, I didn't want all that extra mud and extra water in there. So, you know, anytime you can focus on those skills is, is such a valuable thing. 
Yeah. And, and if I can add to that, a dog trainer's tip, don't wait until these things are just happening naturally. You know, set out to do some training in these situations. Go out to the, to the driveway and work your weights in the car. You know, it's a great opportunity to rehearse what you would like your dog to do rather than just when there's the excitement of getting to the park, etc. If they have a little bit of history of practicing those skills, you're going to have such an easier time when you actually get to add some excitement to the mix as well. Shannon, you and I talked about this last week uh, or two weeks ago. Uh, th- this is why dog trainers' dogs seem to train so quickly because yes. we have an expectation that the dog will wait before you know we, they're allowed to go outside, or you know that we are. They know that we're going to give them information, and it's kind of on our on our terms. Mm-hmm. You know, not to be uh, you know iron uh, fisted. I don't even know what the what the, <laughs> what the thing is. But rule with an iron fist. Rule with an iron fist. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, it's it's. It's about them uh, getting something they want by putting in some effort and the value of those exercises. And it's so simple to do, to to incorporate into your everyday activities with your dog, that it really speeds up the training process. It teaches them that it's worth listening to you. It's, It's worth it. Definitely. And dogs need lots of repetition of everything that we are going to expect them to understand and do. And before we can expect them to take responsibility for these skills themselves, for example, my own dogs now, I don't have a dog that's young enough that I don't have the expectation that when I throw open the crate door in the car, they're not going to budge until I release them with an okay. So at this point, I mean, it's all it's all gravy and it's all well ingrained because the dog has had enough rehearsal and repetition to learn that that's worthwhile. That's the expectation. Expectation, and then occasionally it still gets reinforced at this point. So, you know, I might once every couple of months rip open the great door and then yes, and feed my dog several times for being calm, even though I wasn't, et cetera. So great to get in those, those repetitions. Absolutely. Now I need to mention really quickly, uh, our podcasts uh, and every one of our podcasts is made uh, possible by our online training programs. And uh, Steve, you are one of our puppy essentials and life skills instructors. You do the weekly coaching calls and, um, uh, you know, uh, I've seen so many great, uh, videos and messages come from those students, you know, as, as an instructor, what's, what's the most rewarding part of this process being an online training instructor for you? Well, you know, I would, I will tell you to me, it's just like seeing people in class. And that's one of the things that I love about the online program is that we do get to engage with people one-on-one and we, we build that personal relationship with them. And through that, we share their wins. You know, we have our, 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 what we call Wednesday wins that Shannon started. And it's so great to see, oh my gosh, my dog didn't do this last week, but guess what happened this week? I, you know, was struggling with this and all of a sudden they weren't doing it or, you know, all of the stories that we get. So it's making that connection with people and, and, and sharing in their successes because, you know, people don't naturally know how to do this. You know, it's, it's so good to be able to give people the steps and break it down in a manner that makes sense to them, but more importantly, makes sense to the dog and gets the dog on the right path. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a really, really, it's a ton of fun for me. Um, I like it as much as I do my in-person classes, which I never thought I would say that, but <laughs> you say that now. <laughs> now you just get more love from all over the world, Steve. It's amazing. It's well, such a, such a great well, experience. That, 
that's the other cool thing. I mean, we, we've got people from pretty much all corners of the world um, uh, that we get to engage with every week. So it's really, really cool. You know, when uh, when we first launched uh, our online training and uh, we started to see the growth and, and got to meet people from all over the world, I said uh, that we, we had gone from essentially seven cities, helping dogs from seven cities uh, to seven continents. And that is that is the case now. I think we may have covered seven continents, which is pretty cool. It's unreal. But um, anyway. So if uh, maybe you're listening to this podcast and you're looking for some specific advice for your dog and you'd like the help of a professional dog trainer, check out the show notes below for our puppy essentials program for dogs under five months and our, our, our life skills programs for dogs over five months. Now, Shannon, uh, we have covered uh, some interesting tips for spring. Maybe we'll do a summer. Maybe we'll do a, a fall, uh, uh, I guess, dog training. I wanted to call this a spring training plan, but I thought people might be so <laughs> aware of baseball that it would be a little bit distracting. Um, so we'll see what this ends up being titled. But um, these, these, are, these are the kinds of things as dog trainers we think about when it comes to giving our dog great information and making sure that they are successful, setting them up to be successful. Um, um, so I'm hoping that our podcast listeners are starting to think the way we're thinking as well. Yeah, help them be successful, guys. It's so rewarding to have a dog that you're helping to bring along rather than being frustrated because you're reactively trying to stop them from lunging at dogs or being excited out on the street and not really having a concrete job themselves. Absolutely. Um, Steve, I want to thank you for joining us today. The, the tech worked well. You sounded great. And I'm excited to uh, for our podcast audience uh, to meet you if they haven't met you previously on our YouTube channel. I love it. I'm looking forward to doing more of them. It's just another, another great medium, another great way to get uh, our, uh, our message and our ideas out to everybody and their dogs, which is even better. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I want to thank you guys for listening. If you are watching our podcast on our McCann Dogs podcast channel, I want to thank you for watching as well. On that note, I'm Ken. This is Shannon. Happy training. <laughs>I hope you enjoyed this episode of the McCann Dogs podcast. And if you'd like some more training resources, be sure to check us out on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook at McCann Dogs. And if you'd like to train with us online, be sure to check out the show notes below for our My Dog Can online training program, where we know in just a few weeks, your dog will become a well-behaved family member. Until then, happy training.